Hello and welcome to the special Christmas edition of A Musician and a Filmmaker. And by that, I mean uh, it has nothing to do with Christmas at all. It just happens to be December. Uh, I'm Greg Phipps, the the guy that had the idea for the podcast, I guess. Now, I, I can't even take full credit. We both wanted to do a podcast. That was just a bad uh, attribution on my end. I'm going to stop talking now. Yeah, well, you know what, Greg? I think you gave me the push that I needed to get back into podcasting. So I'd say in in some ways, what you said is accurate. Well, then let it be. What is your name, by the way? You should introduce yourself. Oh, well, if people don't know who I am, my name is Jordan. My last name is Randall. Two first names. Easy to remember. Just like Bruce Wayne. Yeah, it's true. I thought you were going to say Bruce Willis for some reason, which I guess works. Well, Just Willis. Yeah, it also yeah. works. Yeah. So we're wrapping up 2023, a year that was sort of defined by these giant cinematic events, more specifically Barbenheimer, Barbie and the Oppenheimer films being released on the same day, and those both did incredibly well. And and you can find a number of reasons why that worked. And I think a big part of it is just the novelty of the juxtaposition of this bright and cheery Barbie movie with this dark and depressing nuclear drama Oppenheimer so I figure we should do our own version of that and we're going to talk about a bright and cheery pop album and a super dark and depressing and graphic violent biopic question mark kind of kind of biopic yeah <laughs> kind of it's it's like uh yeah it's all over the place but I guess we'll get to it but first should we just uh acknowledge that this is going to be our first episode without any animal collective news since we started the podcast is it though is it because i mean there is a little bit of new developments in the animal collective base there is a new panda bear record being recorded oh yeah, yes i guess that's true that sinister grift his upcoming album is being recorded in lisbon right now with deacon who we friend of the show yep uh <laughs> is uh engineering slash producing it so that's exciting but other than that there isn't really anything else it's just kind of like a hiatus mode i think today that we're recording this on the 16th is actually the last panda bear and sonic boom reset show it might even be happening in like an hour or two based on the time zones so that's something of note (laughs) i guess but that uh the reset era is gonna last forever because you think they're they're probably gonna put out the mariachi version and then but i don't think that's going to be the full album i think that's just, just a, couple a couple songs, songs. yeah i think it's just living in the after and danger okay i mean i i could go either way like if they keep making like new genres of the same album like you know i i'm i'm there for it because the dub one was pretty good and from what i heard from those little clips of the mariachi stuff that's pretty cool too yeah i think it's cool to do like a couple versions of it, but after a certain point, like <laughs> move on to something else. Yeah. How about you reset your priorities? <laughs> am I right? Oh my God. No, but that was great. Actually, I should point out that I did get to see that finally in concert. Yeah. In at the end of October during the Levitation Fest in Austin. I saw One O Tricks Point Never the night before, which is awesome. Then I saw Panda Bear and Sonic Boom who were on the unknown mortal orchestra ticket. So I saw them and then I just got in my car and drove back to Dallas because I was seeing the next night, Alan Palomo, also known as Neon Indian, doing his new solo act. So I had a very busy electronic experimental weekend and it was great. But 
I mean, I feel like if you've seen a recording of one of their shows, mm. you've kind of seen the show. You don't really need to be there in person. But that being said, it was still a really cool experience to... I had, like, the perfect, like, view of the two of them on stage. And it was just, like, all the stuff came together. And then there was a bit of a, a feeling of finality to it. So I feel like the reset era might be wrapping up. The time skips isn't it now. Bridge to Quiet era is wrapping up. And I feel like Animal Collective is just sort of going back to the gestation period. Hopefully this time without a giant fucking pandemic in the middle of it. But, you know, fingers crossed. Yeah, no, it'd be interesting to... To see what's next, I think we've, we all loved this era, but it admittedly has gone on too long. So switch it up. Let's uh, let's hear those bendy guitars on Sinister Grift. Let's move on to the next chapter. Well, I am excited to see what they do next in any capacity. Of course, there's all the stuff that we talked about with both of them in our interviews. You know, the Jetty documentary, Geo's solo album, Sinister Grift, whatever Deacon's solo album is going to end up being. And, you know, I don't know what A.V.'s up to, but I feel like he's just constantly writing songs. Like, if he finishes a month without writing at least three songs, something is wrong. <laughs> and I didn't mean for that to rhyme, but you know what? There's only so many ending sounds in the English language, so it's inevitable. That's how creative A.V. Terra is, that even when you talk about his songwriting, you end up writing a song in the process. Yeah. Well, speak that's actually interesting, because speaking of that, I had that feeling a lot while I was listening to... And this is a great transition that I'm now pointing out and therefore diminishing it. <laughs> Father of the Bride, which is our featured album Vampire this month, Weekend. the Vampire Weekend album. I feel like I had a lot of moments listening to it a couple times over the last week where I was just like, man, this just makes me want to just sit down and write mm-hmm. something. Like get down on the piano and just fiddle about and bloviate until something resembling a song comes out. Vampire Weekend, Father of the Bride. It's an interesting title for the album. I know it's yes. a lyric in the first song, but does it have anything to do with the... Con- is, that, is there some sort of thematic concept that has to do with fathers of brides? Is it a reference to the movie? Well, we should point out that... Let's, let's set the stage a little bit. This is their first album in six years, and this came out in 2019. They had previously done Modern Vampires of the City in 2013, but that was like their third album in like four years am i wrong like what didn't the self-title come out in yeah, 09? Then contra contra was 2010 i think that timelines modern vampire timeline sounds about right yeah so they were like busting out number one albums back to back and then just a big old nothing i think like the the most new ezra koenig written material that we got was like the few songs they wrote for that peter rabbit mm. movie didn't he uh, make like a like a animated TV show or something? Did some music for yes, that? Yes, he did do Neo Yokio, but I don't th- know if he had anything to do with the music okay. like of the show. But it is a collaboration between him and Jaden Smith, and they're both musicians. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I'm sure I haven't really looked into it because I'm not some weeaboo freak. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Harsh, but man. <laughs> it's just not really my... Uh, my cup of tea usually i have to really like that's why like this new miyazaki movie came out boy and the heron and everyone's like you gotta go see it i'm like i need to watch more than just spirited away before i go and watch the man's final movie in a theater like that's gonna just throw the whole thing off i feel like you need to sort of follow the trajectory of uh yeah so anyway to tie it back to vampire weekend so the first album in six years and then 
while it was in development, Ezra was teasing it on his social media, I think, like Instagram and Twitter. And at one point, he was going to call it Mitsubishi Macchiato. That was like the name that he was like, we're making a new album and this is what it's called. For like years, it was called that. (laughs) And then I think Father of the Bride was only like the name change. I think only, I don't know if it was like right when Harmony Hall, the first single was dropped that they Mm. announced that or if it was like slightly before. But a lot of people assumed that it was going to be not that. So I think it changed forms a lot over the six years that they were okay. working. So on it that. sounds to me like they were going for a title that had absolutely nothing to do with the record if they were doing the Mitsubishi Macchiato. So that to me right. suggests that maybe Father of the Bride is, uh, you know, more just a, a, a selection for the sake of having a, I don't know, a memorable name rather than anything to do with the uh, the context in the album. Well, I think it may be like, I, I think there is a bit of, of a framing to it and that he deliberately had three duet songs with Danielle Heim. Cause there's a bunch of guest collaborators mm-hmm. and musicians on this album. Yeah. She's but, all over this album. Yeah. Most notably, mm-hmm. like she has a lot of like backing vocals. And I think there's even some songs where she's not like in featured in the title of the song, but yeah, you can still hear her. Like I think flower moon, she has like just like a little four bar verse. Mm-hmm. So I think, that the first song hold you now and then there's married in a gold rush and the third one is we belong together all sort of like ezra let me just say that if you're a fan of the band you've probably heard ezra's podcast time crisis where they did an entire episode dedicated to this the album where they went track by track we're not going to do that because this is an 18 track album that's 58 minutes long and you've seen what happens when we go track for track we talk for two and a half hours about an album, and then we talk about Captain Ron for half an hour. Yeah, so. we want to give uh, the movie some space this time. Right. So first, you should go and listen to that if you have Apple Music, because it's a great podcast that's a very insightful, and you really should be getting this from the mouth of the beast itself, himself, first, before... I don't know why I call him a beast. Yeah. But He's a bit of a beast. It's an expression. He's a, He's musical, a musical beast. He's a musical beast, but 18 tracks on this album, that's... Beast worthy, yeah. So, six years the album is like the giant, you know, mystery box until it comes Mm. out, and then it comes out, and it's like it's weird. It is almost like sort of like that Barbenheimer juxtaposition where you go from I wouldn't say Modern Vampires is like an inherently sad album, or like it's like slightly darker than the previous Mm. albums, but it's only because it has like two or three sort of like atmospheric ambient production style but i when you listen to the whole thing back to back or like front to back you realize it is basically just a standard vampire weekend album it just has a really cool cover art the the cover art that dark sort of establishes a sort of vibe for the album which to be fair this album does too it does very much represent that there's like a, a very clean sort of like production to the album and then there's also like the different wide range of instrumentation and musical styles that influence it like country pop you know like bossa nova a little bit and there's even like some jazz stuff in there a a tiny bit with like just maybe not exactly but using brass and also like brushes on kits instead of like the traditional Mm -hmm. sticks I think there is like a little bit of a softer quality to this album. That whole aesthetic with the like white background and then just like the item in the middle with the Sony 
Records logo at the bottom sort of illustrates. It definitely feels like it's like a throwback to like an album cover that you'd you know, find in like the 70s or 80s or something like that, having that like Sony logo right there. But I do like the simplicity of it. And I think, yeah, definitely like the, the world, like the globe kind of, you know, hints at at the the multitude of different styles that are like, you know, inspired by all parts of, of the planet. Cause this, this album is like, fuck, it's got, it's got everything. Like, <laughs> I mean, I was, if there, if there, if there was like a hip hop verse in like one of the, one of the songs, it would, it would be complete. It would have everything. That's true. But I, th- well, there is a, an interpolation of a hip hop song. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. In track four. So, I mean, it is not entirely disconnected. And this is also the guy who one of the most prolific songs of their band has the lyric little john always tells the truth Mm. and they're not talking about like some sort of fable like old-timey figure little john they mean little john the rapper like the yeah skeet skeet like that guy (laughs) and then they even directly reference that like in one of their later music videos where he has a cameo so there's a lot to talk about with this album because yeah the fact that there is so much so many different types of music like squeezed into the album and just you know when you have six years to work on something you you kind of throw everything in the kitchen sink into this big project you're working on <laughs> i can relate as a filmmaker who just finished a movie that i spent two years making that is kind of how the final product feels is that you did just kind of toss everything in there but in the right spot totally. yeah it, it, and it does work. Like, I think that even though there is so much, you know, uh, going on in this and so many different styles and stuff, it does feel like pretty cohesive. It doesn't like it is it is long. Um, I think I, I'd be interested to hear how like fans, I guess maybe like more like, you know, surface level fans of, of this band really like ingested this album because, you know, I, everyone's streaming now. There's, you know, a smaller group of people that'll like sit down and, you know, really like really just digest the music like, you know, people like ourselves. But, you know, it, it is a long album. So I'm wondering if like people really even gave the second half of it much of a chance because like it does feel like they put a put a lot like more of the singles and more of the upbeat stuff at the at the the first half, too. So maybe that was intentional. Yeah, it's definitely a deliberate double album. And Ezra I'm going to try not to keep quoting that podcast, but I will because I <laughs> it, we're talking about it. So he said that he specifically wanted to make something like he felt like I can't disappear for six years and then come back with just 12 songs. Like mm. it needs to be a much bigger sort of mm. thing. Making up for lost time. Right. But it is only an hour. That's true. This album has twice the amount of songs as. Isn't it now? Isn't it now? <laughs> and it's. It's shorter, it's shorter. In, in duration. It's six minutes shorter than <laughs> Isn't It Now. Yeah. Vampire Weekend didn't decide to drop a 22-minute song in the middle of their 18-song no. album. They, they waited a couple years to do... Have you heard of the 2021, like, jam versions? There's, like... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? They did, like, a 20... They did two 21-minute, like, remixes of it. One of them was, like, a sort of, like not I want to say fish but just like that sort of jam band genre mm. type and then i can't honestly remember what the other one was like it was like was it like ambient and experimental or honestly i don't remember much outside of the fact that they did release some like jammy like extended 
versions of songs, but I I can't tell you what the songs were. I can't yeah. even tell you if I listened. It to was them kind or of not. like a novelty release where you're like, oh, this is cool, mm-hmm. and then you just never went back to it because you got kind of got the point. I mean, yeah, yeah. The song on the album is like less than a minute and a half, so to hear the same <laughs> verse over and over and over and over again for 21 minutes is uh, they is a also lot to ask for. They also did that. Um, I think it was right when Harmony Halls came out as a single. They did the fucking uh, what was it like twenty four hour loop of the, uh, oh, the yeah, acoustic the... guitar riff. <laughs> we'll we'll get into that when we actually go track for not track for track. We're gonna do Some we're tracks. gonna go back to highlights. Select how we started Select the show tracks. because I mean there's still eleven of them, but <laughs> that's still slightly more than half the album. What is that song? I'm trying to think. This life, yes. that that was a single, right? The, okay, so they we yeah they did like a there's like two two singles a sort of yeah they did like three single releases, but each single had two songs like an A and a B side. So it was like Harmony Hall 2021, This Life, Big Blue. I want to say that might be wrong, mm. and then I think it was like un uh uncomfortably white. Was it? Is that unbearably white? I, I don't know. I, and I'm, uh, yes, uncomfortably. How long? Un- well, you know, <laughs> that's its own can of worms because this did come out like after Trump was already president, and so I right. mean, that song title specifically, people were like, "What are you trying to say, huh? Unbearably white, huh? You got a problem with white people, huh?" <laughs> it's like, well, he's a white Jew, so probably not. Yeah. But, was it? Yeah, was Rich Man a single? Not you're just gonna make me open up Wikipedia and look myself. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't. It doesn't really matter. Well, that's another matter. thing they brought up in that podcast is that it, almost every single song, one of the three people discussing it was like, you know, I actually thought that might be a single, like <laughs> even for the stuff like the most non-traditional stuff. Yeah. Oh, okay. So it was Harmony Hall 2021, Sunflower, oh, with yeah. Big Blue, and then This Life backed with Unbearably White. So, Sunflower. When I when I heard that that was coming out, I was so stoked because I, I they did that uh, that cover of the Post Malone song Sunflower like a year before the album came out, and I was like, oh damn, they actually did like uh, a studio recording of the cover, and it's just a totally different song. Did they do? Well, it wasn't like just the Post Malone song, right? It was like they did. The Vampire Weekend some, song, and then they like interpolated the Post Malone that's, one yeah, and yeah, yeah, that's another was, song yeah. that had Sunflower in the name. Or no, it might have been that he just did like the Harmony Hall melody or something. It was like a weird blend of a few different things. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I, I remember the takeaway for me at that time was that they were doing a cover of the Post Malone song, which um, I, will, I will say that song slaps, man. You can't deny it. Yes, but I should also point out that that song was recorded under and is the representative song of a Sony production oh. across the Spider-Verse. Oh. And so Holy it's only shit. it only makes sense that an album that was produced by Columbian Records and Sony... So what you're saying is that this album is part of the Spider-Verse. I am. This is definitely... Miles has this somewhere in his uh, Spotify, I guess. Yeah, this was actually. I remember this album came out like right before the Spotify update that like changed the original layout to like the modern version, which I hate Mm -hmm. the modern version. And literally the the day that they updated that and just completely changed it, I was like, 
I'm unsubscribing and I'm signing up for <laughs> Apple Music because fuck this shit. Yeah, I can't even remember what the old one looked like. It's been so long now. I mean, it looked very much like the Apple Music one, but like it was just better in general. And now I haven't even used it in so long that like I can't really compare the two on like a minutia level. But mm. I just anyway, we can get distracted yeah. because we often do. Yes, there's so many little things to talk about, but let's talk about this album. So should we just jump in with our song highlights? Yeah, that'll probably help us get to the rest of the stuff. Should we should we just start off with Rich Man since since it's been brought up? It's on the list of highlights. You want to go out of order? I want to go out of order. I want to go... Okay, that's fine. <laughs> this is going to be a wild ride and no one's going to know what's going to happen next. We're going to talk about Rich Man. <laughs> So on my my notes, I actually have this paired with Married in a Gold Rush because they are so thematically Mm. similar. Yes, they are. They definitely are. Now, the first thing that I noticed... So I listened to this album when it came out. Like I... Like, I gave it, like, a very generic skim. Like, I think they turned it on. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, there's a lot of songs. Listen to it. And then, honestly, like, even though I did find it likable, for whatever reason, I just, like, never returned to it until, you know, you decided this would be the album of the month for December. And then I listened to it, you know, just recently uh, again. And something clicked this time around, and that was during the listening to of Rich Man. And I'm curious, Greg, you must own this album, right? I do. You want to see it? Yes, I do. I want to inspect it. It's one of the few ones that has a sleeve on it. Ta-da. Oh, very cool, very cool. I don't actually know what's on the inside. Does it have liner notes on the inside? It does, but... Okay. So, So I want you to check out those liner notes and tell me if there's anything about an individual named... S.E. Rogie on uh, the credits for um, Rich Man. Oh, there's a poster. I completely forgot about that. Oh. It was, is the poster just a big version of the cover? Well, it's like a bunch of like little green and blue logos, like the blue splat and the little like frog spiral. Oh, cool. And, yeah, I guess it's just all the little graphic, the little clip arts they came up with. There is no liner sheet in here. There's no liner notes. No. Anyway, what is it about this name that you wanted to point out? Okay. Okay. So anyway, yeah, I'll just get to the point. So, um, yeah, like, um, I don't know. You know, there's a lot of uh, features on the album and stuff like that. But check this out, man. This is going to blow your mind. And, like, I don't know how I stumbled upon this, but this was in my this was on my Spotify in my liked music from, like, ages ago couple songs by this guy called S.E. Rogie. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but that's how it's spelled. Rogie, R-O-G-I-E. Yes, I am aware that the song Rich Man has a sample from an older track. And I believe okay. he mentions that he contacted S.E. Rogie's son to use it on the album. Okay. But okay, I, would, so I haven't actually heard of the original song. What is it called? 
It's called Please Go Easy With Me. Now, mister, please go easy with me. I say please go easy with me. What kind of genre would you call this? Like, I have no idea. Because I feel like <laughs> I've heard this like type of music before, but like, is it is it Aphrodasia? Is what's well, the name of that, the, is that album? the genre? I don't know if that's the name of the genre. Let's see, Moringa. Moringa. West yeah, African. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Uh, my West African ignorant Moringa. white brain was not aware of that uh, particular. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm sure not too many people are. But that song slaps, and if you, you being potentially you, Greg, and potentially anyone that's listening, go check out fucking S.E. Rogi. Dude's got some bangers. I gotta say, they're all, like, terrible recording quality like that one, like, very staticky and stuff, right. but it adds to the charm. Well, I probably will, because I did end up actually checking out Haruomi Honoso, I think, or Hosono. I, I probably that? butchered the hell out of that pronunciation, but he was a Japanese experimental slash ambient artist who is kind of well known for that album Pacific. And he, he's done like a whole bunch of different uh, genres. He was in Yellow Magic Orchestra and a couple of other things. But basically the song 2021 has a sample like that. That whole mm. loop is from like this extended sort of ambient piece that he did for like Japanese department stores basically just like subtle mm. sort of ambient background music so I did end up checking out more of his music based on its inclusion in this vampire weekend album and I don't know why I said was by the way mm. this guy's still alive he's only 76 I just <laughs> figured that since SE Rogi only wasn't 76 anymore that yeah so I I apologize but yeah rich man I I uh I was really surprised to hear that sample in there because I don't, didn't remember hearing that the first time around. And uh, it is a really good song. It's um, it's interesting because like, I feel like that sample does sound like something that would have organically come out of Vampire Weekend. Like the, that sort of guitar play like feels like a Vampire Weekend uh, kind of riff. So well, I think the way uh, yeah, that it's pretty, used pretty kind of reminds me of Reset, the... You know, the yeah, Panda Bear Sonic Boom album where they did the older samples and then just sort of took the intro and looped that throughout. Yeah. But it, it adds a lot. I really like Rich Man because it does sort of turn into like that sort of orchestral, like mm-hmm. wavy sort of quality to it, how it sort of... That's what's interesting about a lot of this album is that I don't want to call it straight up progressive, but I think that mm-hmm. normally it's... You would expect from a Vampire Weekend album more of the, you know, first chorus, first chorus, bridge kind of structure and then the occasional like super artsy one like giving up the gun or um diplomat son which are more of like a storytelling one than just like a straight pop song so there are a number of songs on this album that kind of start with the structure that you would expect and then sort of kind of like develop dynamically in an interesting way to where the song can kind of transform into something even more like grandiose or even just impressive to 
the listener. But they also practice like a good amount of like restraint as well. Cause like I, I noticed on some songs where I was like, oh shit, this is going to go real big. Like the closer, right. they got this like almost, you know, like EDM style, like baseline that comes in and it's just, I, I totally saw it going like, oh fuck, they're going to go huge right at the last. And I was like, please don't because this song's so nice and it's, it's just so good in its subdued state, even though this, this baseline is teasing it at what it could become. I love the fact that they didn't, didn't do it. Didn't You're talking it. about Jerusalem, New York, Berlin. Um, I am. Interesting. I never actually have thought that before. I, in fact, I just don't, I guess I never really paid too much attention to that specific baseline because of the, you know, piano heavy quality of it. But I should also point out that you should know Vampire Weekend well enough. Like you heard uh, Young Lion on and the previous album. You should know they like their little <laughs> uh, epilogue. So as it were, I guess. True. True. Uh, I while we're on the topic of that specific song, I just want to point out a piece of trivia about it is that Tim Heidecker, of all people, specifically praised people. Jerusalem. New York, Berlin, when he had Ezra on his show Office Hours. Like, Ezra did a call-in over the phone, and he was Tim was praising the album, but specifically cited that one. So I found that interesting, wow. that Tim Heidecker is known to be this, like, kind of wacky, like, absurdist comedian, but there is also, like, the real version of him, which does earnestly love stuff like the Beatles, and, you know, he has his own Jordan Randall-type albums that he's put out, <laughs> which aren't really my cup of tea, but I think that's just because there's a weird disconnect when it comes to him. Like I'm expecting him to make goofy faces and, and, you know, just be a, a clown and not so much a earnest musician. So, I mean, I can respect his wanting to do that. Isn't that like the most pure form of absurdist comedy? A guy like that releasing like real albums? Maybe. <laughs> like, but I think there is that. That's that's all just part of the joke. I, as I guess, I but I don't know. It seems too earnest for me to uh, to think <laughs> that it's all one big gag. But anyway, yeah. So shout out to Tim Heidecker. Yes, Tim. Whatever happened to Eric? You know, you haven't seen him in the Pizza Hut commercial or whatever it was. Some pizza restaurant. I can't remember. It. I don't know. Maybe that's he's maybe still that's an directing and starring in his own commercials that are almost as weird as Tim and Eric awesome show used to be. So he's still around. Okay. He's still, yeah. around. okay. He's just cool. not on pizza hut. Okay. So let, let's, uh, let's jump back into we one of these highlighted about songs Man. then. We're talking, are we right? We're still talking so about, should Rich we move Man? on okay. to married Rich in Man. a gold rush? Something's happening in the country. The government's to blame We got married in a gold rush And the rush has never felt the same Shed a moment in a cafe Shed a kiss in pouring rain They're right back to back with each other on the album Married in a Gold Rush features Daniel Hyam and one of the three like credited features in the song title, at least it's credited, and uh, it's it's a good song. It's I mean lyrically, I, you're probably more familiar than I am. Is it uh, is it a happy song? Is it a sad song? Sounds like this whole album sounds like it's a, a happy, but then like I've skimmed through some of the lyrics, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's dark. I think that's that might be in that particular instance part of the juxtaposition of like 
the tone and the lyrical themes but i think it is sort of like a mix between the two on this particular track like a couple Mm. sort of because there is there's also songs on this album like this life which is about like being cheated on and trying to you know just Mm -hmm. pick up the pieces and keep going and try to find another uh, love to you know fulfill your own desires so i think this has that sort of like we're in like i think there is literally like the topic of the song is like people being married in the gold rush like the old 19th century gold rush and Mm -hmm. the sort of like we are in love but we're also miserable because we're you know camping out in the snow in this cabin trying to so i think there's just a whole bunch of like weird commentary on being rich and stuff like in rich man i think that's very much like a sort of billionaires song kind of but it's also like i don't know again this is stuff that ezra can explain better himself and you should probably listen to him say that better i'm running out of brain cells <laughs> as i talk the the takeaway from this episode is that to hear a more coherent version of this episode check out a different podcast the lesson in this episode <laughs> is eat lunch before you start recording and don't just run on fumes for breakfast <laughs> food everybody it's important for survival and for podcasting well we we don't have we can't do our ad read for food right now so so um gold rush married in a gold rush. i would say it's probably my least favorite of the three chiam yeah features on on the album but i think it's only because the other two are just like exceptionally good but i still Mm. included as a highlight because i think it's one of the strong points of the album It, it does feel like it's telling a story and also just like a nice little country married duet song, like, you know, like a married mm-hmm. couple doing an act and t- kind of ribbing back and forth on each other. Like, I thought you might learn the language. I thought you might learn to sing like that little kind of dynamic to mm-hmm. it. But there is sort of an un- underlying love, which I guess Rich Man could also, you could say about, but that one does seem to be more focused on the actual like social perception of wealth and not so much the like necessity of it for survival so it is sort of just like a rich versus Mm -hmm. poor pairing between the two like rich man and married in a gold rush so it's interesting that this album has a number of those like sort of juxtapositions of just like putting one song before the other like sunflower being like this very upbeat sort of almost like it kind of resembles more of their first few albums than anything else on the album uh, of this album I feel like. And then Flower Moon is sort of like a little more somber, but still kind of upbeat. And that's kind of where the Bossa Nova stuff comes in. So it, it's it's interesting mm-hmm. how they were able to put songs back to back, but then not even do them as like that when this particular singles were released with the A and B side. You know, like they didn't do Sunflower and Flower Moon as a single. They did Sunflower and Big Blue. So it's interesting right. how promotion for marketability sort of interjects with your artistic integrity in terms of how you structure an Mm -hmm. album. And and this one does have a very, it seems like a very deliberate track listing order to it. Like you sort of follow, Mm -hmm. there's not like, I think a conceptual arc or anything like that, but I think just the way that they progress from different tones, like throughout, it's not like a roller coaster, but it is just sort of like a, I don't know, like a wave, like a like a uh, audio wave. 
I don't know. It's good. Right. It's a good fucking album. That's what I got to say about it. It's a good album. Let's keep talking about it. <laughs> this album is, like, really good. I, I think it's, for, for me, like, um, you know, I, I haven't listened to it as thoroughly as you have. But for me, like, it does kind of feel like it's, even though it is varied, it does stay kind of on track, I think, like, throughout the whole journey. Like, it's, like, you don't really get anything too jarring. You know, I think, like, there's that one song... It's that one with like that sort of it's like an acoustic guitar. It's like it's kind of strumming. It's like oh, almost sympathy. percussive. Yes. That one's sympathy, definitely that's it. the one. Yeah. Maybe my brain was starting to conflate the two because of the similarity of their uh titles. But that's because there's 18 songs on this. We're only talking about like half of them. So yeah. some of them are gonna get mixed up. <laughs> sympathy also is uh the one that has a little little guitar riff in the middle that sounds like no scrubs. Interesting. It's like well now i gotta compare the two i'm gonna i'm gonna do the share screen and we're gonna listen because i'm more familiar with uh creep than i am no scrubs we are talking about tlc by the way not radiohead (laughs) oh wow damn you're right how about that interesting okay (laughs) wow i've never even noticed that before again i told you i know more of the uh so you can add tlc to the eclectic list of tastes that and musical styles that ezra (laughs) was inspired by when making this album um Mm -hmm. you know what i think is throwing me off in terms of my like me not being able to transition well and just like losing my train of thought i think it's because we're doing this out of order my brain is used to experiencing the album front to back i'm not trying to entirely place <laughs> so, the so i i screwed this up <laughs> but i think it is literally just that my brain is used to going like one a to z not starting at h and then going to q um That's so fair. yeah let's start with hold you now I know the reason why you think you gotta leave Promises of future glory don't make a case for me I did my best and all the rest is hidden by the clouds I can't carry you forever But I can hold you now Which we did, I think, briefly talk about It is the first one with Daniel Heim on it, but I also think it's interesting that it samples, of all things, the soundtrack from the Terrence Malick movie, The Thin Red Line, which is about, like, I'm pretty sure it's like, is it a Vietnam movie? Mm. Yeah, it's like this very meditative, artistic... Yeah, I think it is. ...movie about, like, the, you know, the war, obviously, but also the lack of, like, a sort of a main character in the war. Like, everyone is sort of treated as equal on the battleground so but specifically they got like tribal recordings to do the soundtrack and this is also um, the same soundtrack that panda bear hmm. don't know if you ever heard of him he samples you're talking about the animal yeah there's an an there's an uh live panda bear from china that makes experimental electronic (laughs) music and on his album person pitch he samples another song it might be the same song but i'm pretty sure they're two different tracks from the then red line soundtrack so wow that's, that's crazy cool. i yeah. didn't even know that 
That's so uh, now you do. Now and I do. that's why we have a podcast. I so learned we can something. Give tidbits. <laughs> I just learned something. Holy shit. But yeah, I think it starts out the album in a really nice little uh sort of melancholy way because thematically like lyrically it's about a woman trying to run away from the altar or maybe mm. I guess it's about the husband trying to run away, right? Yeah, yeah. I I, I forget what the the lyrics were, but I definitely gave the idea of um Well, no, the first lyric on the album is I know the reasons why you think you want to leave and that's <laughs> Ezra's perspective, so. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like isn't the isn't the chorus it's something like um like I, I can't keep you forever but I can hold you now or something like that and it's like it's kind of idea that you know you you, you have these moments whereas you know permanence is maybe not as permanent as it is made out to be. Yeah. And you should wash your mouth when talking about the father of the bride. The Damn Steve straight. Martin movie. The Steve Martin movie. Yeah. Talk shit about that movie. This is also the first Vampire Weekend album without Rostam who is a well, very kind well-known of. member of the first three albums. Yes, he is still on it, <laughs> but he's not on every song like he used to be. And you no. can tell which one he's on because the drums immediately sound like an old vamp- an older Vampire Weekend album. Like that's the second true. We Belong Together kicks in. You're just yes. like, oh yeah, that's Rostam. Like you just add distortion to your live drums and boom, you got a Vampire Weekend Rostam song. Does he do any other instrumentation? Because, like, didn't he engineer this album or something like that? I think he might have engineered Harmony Hall. I mm. think he was either produced it or engineered or both. But I think those are the only two songs he's on. Okay, interesting. But I he did thinking... also co-write We Belong Together specifically, so it is very much a Ross Dam okay. Vampire Week. Yeah, because I, I saw his name... Like attached as you know, it's like oh, the album features like I was like that's kind of weird that he was like a band member and now he's like a feature, right? It's like the, the little 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 tangent here, it's completely different musical genre. Um, way back when, Blink One Eighty Two had an offshoot band that Tom DeLonge and Travis Barker started called Boxcar Racer. You ever heard of this, Greg? No. But I also okay. know very little about Blink One Eighty Two in general. And so good on you, f- good on you for that. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, Boxcar Racer was the two of them, and on the album, they had a song featuring Mark Hoppus. And I thought that's just the weirdest shit that this band is Tom and Travis. So it's basically just a Blink One Eighty Two song. The third member of Blink One Eighty Two. That's like if on the Smile song. did like yeah, and this is not a Blink One Eighty Two song. Colin like, Greenwood, what? Phil <laughs> so, Selway, and Ed. O'Brien. Yeah, like every other member. <laughs> yeah, that is weird because I like I don't really know a lot of their music, but even I know that that's exactly. weird. Like Mark Hoppus is very well known for his past on Twitter and just responding to every single person <laughs> that had a negative word to say about him, or at least that's my memory of it. That was like a decade ago when mm. that was a thing, but. It, yeah, it is kind of strange, but at least the song, it doesn't say featuring Ross Dam. It says featuring Danielle Heim. So, yeah, it's better. It's so it's it's better. Yeah. than what Well, Blink-182 that, there's did. a lot of yeah. stuff on this album that's better than what Blink-182 did. But uh, maybe that's just me. <laughs> yeah. Like the first the first two seconds of this album are it's basically better than anything Blink-182 has done. No. Although I don't mean to shit talk Blink-182 for, for listeners out there that for some reason enjoy i don't even know what i'm talking about so take what i have to say with a grain of salt <laughs> yeah if you happen to enjoy vampire weekend animal collective and blink 182 and you're listening to this podcast 
my you're in the right you're in the place. right place and my apologies for for semi shit talking them they've got they've well got some i feel like it's already too late they probably already stopped listening <laughs> if they when they heard my fake derogatory comment yeah they're like um anyway back to, yes, the, back album. to the album the reason i guess we should just point out that Danielle Heim is all over this record, but we haven't pointed out that she basically lived upstairs from producer Ariel. I, I don't want to fuck this one up. Ariel Rexshad. Does that sound right? Rexshad. It's a very uh, interestingly spelled last yeah. name, but that, I feel like that's close enough. Let's just anyway. Let's just he Ariel. had like a sort of a like studio on the ground floor, and then she lived in the apartment that was on the upper level of the property mm. and so it was just like they would be working on a song and then they'd be like oh hey do you want to get on this real quick or like oh hey we had an idea that you could t- throw a little something in here mm-hmm. can you just knock it out real quick and then you go back to being one of the himes and and standing and posing and you know <laughs> do all the do all the himes live together were they all living in that place no i think it was just her which would be kind of strange if three women in their 30s live together that were also sisters. I just I see them as inseparable. They just they they're like they all conjoin as one to become one unit. You know that's why like the three headed dog from Harry Potter. Yeah, exactly. It's just yeah. like that, but it's like it's like you know you get three Hyams and then together they form Hyam. Well, have you seen Licorice Pizza? Uh, I have not. I have not. I, okay. Um, well, in that movie. Alana Himes character mm. goes home and then the other Himes are there. Like literally her entire family from real life plays her family in the movie. And they all live together. So it's like you see the other two Himes and you see like the actual mom that that movie, like the reason that the movie is like the main character is falls in love with Alana Heim is because it's like a younger boy and an older woman is that when Paul Thomas Anderson was young, he had a crush on, the Himes mom, and then he made a movie about it, and he cast her daughter <laughs> as that surrogate character, and then had the actual person in the movie as the mom, as like a background character. What in the hell? So, what, yeah, was the did he just make this movie so he could finally bang the Heim mom, <laughs> or just like uh, I guess like legitimize some sort of fantasy he had as a teenager? I don't. Anyway, we can talk about that at a later point no no no. we need to we need to scrap everything we've prepared for this episode and <laughs> deep dive into this sorry lords of chaos <laughs> no we'll do that when we do our uh our double feature where we do red rocket and licorice pizza back to back okay and we won't do an album so okay that's gonna be a, keep an eye out keep an ear out for that be a spicy episode in the future but anyway back to the christmas episode mm-hmm. uh <laughs> uh so we should move on to Harmony Hall. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, yeah. We took a vow in summertime. Now we find ourselves in late December. I believe that New Year's Eve will be the perfect time for their great surrender. But they don't remember. Anger wants a voice. Voices want to sing. Singers harmonize Till they can't hear anything Thought that I was free From all that questioning But every time a problem ends Another one begins And the stone walls of Harmony all bear witness Anybody 
Because I feel like we got to talk about this song. It's like, for me, one of the main pillars that holds the entire thing up. It was like the mm. first anything that we heard from the band in years. Again, like I think the the Peter Rabbit stuff was just like solo Ezra. I don't think any of it was actual Vampire Weekend. Like, mm. But that's also what's interesting about this album is like I feel like it's sort of always been like a four or five piece band with like solidified positions and then the second that rostam left it just sort of became an ezra koenig solo Mm. project it's sort of like going from the beach boys as a group to pet sounds Mm. where it's like brian and then a bunch of not band members but then it's also like because ezra's social i don't want to say circle but you know like he's clearly got this show time crisis and he's always got his buddy jake longstreth on and ariel is you know a longtime producer and, and friend of him. So they finally worked together. This is their first album together. And so I feel like you've got all these different new influences just in the in the sphere that you don't want to necessarily be tied down to the lineup that you had previously. And in that way, it just sort of becomes like a Neon Indian record hmm. where it's like you got the main guy and then he'll bring other people in to do bits, like whatever he doesn't get around to doing. Or... It is. It does seem like Ezra's like songwriting on this is sort of equal, at least in terms of his like performance of like guitars and pianos and stuff to the other musicians that they brought on. And Harmony Hall. The reason I bring all this up is because Harmony Hall has a number of collaborators on it. It did seem like a very concentrated effort to make it like a radio single. You know, like even though it is five minutes long, mm-hmm. it does have a very sort of big like song of the summer quality to it. I think, <laughs> sure. I don't even know if it might've come out like in the previous fall or something. I, I, this is me a roundabout way of me saying that Dave Longstreth from dirty projectors is on backup vocals on this song. And that was something that took me by surprise having listened to dirty projectors on their own. And then hearing that piece of trivia and re-listening to this song, the second you hear like the, I don't want to say gang vocals, but you know, like the multiple, singers doing the the big chorus lines the second you hear it you're like oh yeah that's totally there's definitely that guy from dirty projectors in the mix in there so this is uh this is news to me greg i did not know that dave longstreth was on that track yeah but it makes a lot I of guess sense it makes sense it makes you a know? lot of he's sense. he's been on time crisis his brother jake is on like a, a handful of the songs on guitar so did um did dave longstreth do the the riff like that acoustic guitar i think that's ezra that's but because it sounds like now that i'm looking at the personnel list i do believe he plays guitar on harmony hall i think he just has like maybe just like in the background or like layered on mm. there's also a man named greg lies on pedal steel guitar on that song and buddy ross is all over this album we should really go through our list of collaborators because there's like i want to keep pointing out that there is just a shitload of talent thrown onto this album like even Ginny lewis is on 2021 <laughs> very minimally but mm. she is on it like Ginny lewis from the postal service and rilo Kiley. her other main band that i'm sure i don't know the name of it's, but... it's called rilo kiley oh okay well <laughs> i guess her you. main band now is just Ginny lewis <laughs> right just a solo but artist she's on 2021 and all she does is she just goes boy yeah and they just repeat that <laughs> like a number of times and it's like Hey, it counts. You get the royalties. You got the paycheck. And yeah, so Buddy Ross collaborated most notably with Frank Ocean. And so, you know, 
if you like the production of stuff like Blonde and Endless, those more recent, most recent Frank Ocean albums, I should say. He's all over this album. He's like, pretty much anytime you hear a synth line or like a keyboard part that isn't just like clearly Ezra on the piano, it's usually him. And then we're, we're maybe jumping ahead a little bit, but I want to point out that Jude Law is affiliated with this album. A, uh, accomplished Hollywood and theatrical actor Jude Law gives his vocals to a Japanese bonus track what? called Lord Ullin's Daughter, which is a weird reworking of the song Big Blue. <laughs> okay. So it's like him reading poetry from some author. I can't remember who it is. Oh, Thomas Campbell. He's reading Thomas Campbell poetry or like text from one of his uh, writings over this like radically reworked sort of like ambient thing. But it's fucking Jude Law. <laughs> it's like the weirdest thing. So weird. How did how did that yeah. even happen? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it, you'd be surprised at the amount of celebrities that like, especially for a band that normally gets number one on the Billboard charts anytime they put something out. Like, it shouldn't be that surprising that celebrities are also into stuff that's well known. That's true. But it's because I think Vampire Weekend has always been this like indie band that became mainstream mm. just by virtue of their success. That's true. That now that they have the the resources of Columbia Records, like Sony at their hit, at their disposal. Oh yeah, we can get Jude Law in here and get him a little <laughs> chunk of change for being on our record, even though, even though it's, it's not just even to on sell CDs in Japan. It's yeah. just the Japanese one. I because I was thinking yeah. like they had that uh that music video with like Jake Gyllenhaal in it, right? So they obviously do have, you know, celebrity friends. Yes. But uh um, giving up the gun. Giving up the gun, yeah. Yeah. It's like that tennis tennis match or something. I think that is the one that little John also cameos. Oh, right. <laughs> I think he's in it very briefly, but uh, yeah. Nice. Is he like the referee during the tennis <sighs> match? I, I, all I can picture in my head is Jake Gyllenhaal in like a tennis outfit. Right. It's Which, seared into my brain. I'd like to believe that's his default uh, dress attire. That's how he dresses normally. He's never played tennis yeah. a day in his life. Speaking yeah. of Japanese, I'm about to have a Japanese beer. This is uh, oh. Godspeed Brewery here in Toronto. Anyone who's a Toronto listener, go check out the Godspeed Brewery over at uh, Gerard and Coxwell. Yeah, they make this thing called Unsui. Uh, it is a modern English IPA, 6.2%. How about that? Uh, Godspeed Brewery. And are you being paid to endorse <laughs> this alcoholic beverage am, on our show? I am show? doing it pro bono. But if they want to okay. pay me, if they're listening to this podcast somehow, hey, you can pay me in, in beer. So few more things about Harmony Hall, and really it's just one, but then I need to backtrack a little bit. Harmony Hall has a line that is from a previous Vampire Weekend song, but mm. almost recontextualized and has a completely <laughs> oh, yes. different melody. So there's a song, mm-hmm. Finger Back, on Modern Vampires, and the line I don't think comes into like the very, like the coda of the song, like sort of the, the B section, or like, you know how like, like Animal Collective will do like the first half of something and then they'll do a second half, but the song's mm-hmm. vibe sort of stays consistent throughout, but then, like, yeah. the the structure of it can almost completely change. So they kind of have that moment on finger back, and he has that refrain where there's, like, the first line, and then the second line is, I don't want to live like this, but I don't want to die. And then that's, like, the main line to the Harmony Hall, like, hook chorus. There isn't really one in Harmony Hall. It's like, <laughs> oh, I guess there is. I don't know what I'm talking yeah. about. But it's like the last part of that where they use the I don't want to live like this, but I don't want to die. And then yeah, it goes into yeah. the ooh, 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 you know. So it's interesting that 
he just really liked that one specific line so much that he's like, I'm going to reuse that because. <laughs> I think I know why he did it. I think he did it to uh, fuck with Anthony Fantano. Mm-hmm. You think so? I remember hearing a detail of his father of the bride review where someone's, or he like pointed out how lo-fi <laughs> the sample on rich man sounded. Or he's like, why this is such lo-fi production. How is this on the final record Probably. or something like that? Probably. I could be completely misquoting him, but I just, everyone was like, are you fucking stupid? It's a sample. <laughs> and it's like, do you not do the basic amount of research into the music? The, you review The only takeaway from that, that review that I recall when it came out was that he li- literally said that he loved the line. I don't want to live like this, but I don't want to die. And then famously from his review of modern um, vampires of the city, he said he hated that line. (laughs) So (laughs) what is it, Fantano? But did he point out that this disparity or was this something that people noticed afterwards? It it was it was like a coincidence. Yeah, I don't think he realized it at all. Interesting. Yeah. Well, we've given him enough airtime. We've given him enough free publicity (laughs) as it is. It's true. So my the thing I wanted to backtrack to is I want to go back to Hold You Now for a second because I would be remiss if I didn't point out that one of the influences for the sort of country style songs on it, on the album, where there's only like maybe two or three, is uh, Casey Musgraves. Musgraves? Mm. Musgraves, I believe it is. Yeah. I don't give a shit. But <laughs> my only exposure to her is like when I worked at a movie theater, they were playing the Casey Musgraves the trailer for her Christmas special. And I was like, who the fuck is this that they get an entire Christmas special and hmm. the year of our Lord 2018. <laughs> so, yeah, I've never listened to anything by Casey Musgraves, but I did meet a guy at a Panda Bear show once who was like tripping on shrooms and he was fucking die hard about Casey Musgraves. He was like, like he wouldn't, he wouldn't let up on the subject. Like he was like, "You gotta listen to K- so you like Panda Bear, bro. You gotta listen to Casey Musgraves." And I was like, "Isn't that like a country singer?" And he's like, "Dude, like maybe, maybe, but you'll love it." And I was like, "All right." And I never listened to Casey Musgraves. <laughs> hey, this thing won some Grammys, didn't it? It won a Grammy. It was nominated for multiple Grammys. And I want to point out how fucking awesome 2019 was for music. There was just a shitload of really good albums that came out, like more so than any other year in my experience as a music fan. Kind of going back to the Casey Musgraves thing at the concert. The closest thing I can relate to that is I was at a washed out show. And after one of the openers finished, they were playing a Mac Miller song on the like house music. And he had just passed away that year. And so there was this drunk guy standing right next to me to shout like and like no one was on stage. So he didn't have to shout. Everyone was back to normal talking volume, but he starts going, Mac Miller! (laughs) And I was just like, you're going hype for Mac Miller at a washed out show of all places? It's like the completely different, it's like this is chill wave. Like, can you be chill wave, bro? (laughs) No, no chill wave. Not to to disrespect the deceased, but it's just, it's not the thing you expect to have screamed into your ear at a certain type of show. But hey, you know what? I guess the guy's got eclectic music tastes. Yeah. And that's that's the beauty of being a music fan, is that maybe my favorite band is something like Animal Collective, but then I also like more mainstream indie, which is an oxymoron, like Vampire Weekend. Or maybe you're someone like me that likes Animal Collective, Vampire Weekend, and true Norwegian black metal music. <laughs> that's true. 
I I have some questions to ask you about this movie when we get to it because uh, <laughs> while it does make sense that you recommended it, like you specifically, Jordan Randall, mm-hmm. there's parts of me watching it where I'm just like, why do you want to talk about this in depth? But again, we'll get to it. <laughs> so let's move on to our next highlight track, which is, I would say, the most radio single type song on the album, which is This Life. very upbeat song and i want to point out that there does seem to be a little bit of a it's interesting how this album is put together because the politics of what ezra and co have to deal with with this being a major label release is that you are expected to generate a certain amount of commercially appealing songs like literally commercials and I feel like I've heard this life in at least two or three different trailers, either for movies or TV shows, specifically the Daniel Radcliffe, Steve Buscemi show. What was that one called where it's like Steve Buscemi is God and he like gives up on being in charge? What? I have no idea what you're talking about. You never heard of this show? I only <laughs> ever saw it advertised at the movie theater I worked at. Again, really? it, it, sure. it makes sense that I'm making connections to this job because this album came out as I was working at that job. So it's fresh on the brain. What was it called? Miracle workers. I think it just got like canceled and they're not coming back for another season, but it it lasted surprisingly long. It's, it's created by Simon rich who did man seeking woman, which is the, the FX show with Jay Baruchel. Okay. So it's like a very sort of, they do like sort of fantastical elements, but it's also like a sort of surrealist, like comedy, like cynical dark humor. So it's it's all over the place, but it, it just like without fail, like right after the album came out, were they showing this trailer at a movie theater before you know they show the actual movie trailers? And I hear da 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 da, da and you're like, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So this definitely seems like one of the most obvious examples of like, okay, this is a Sony production. We're giving you more resources than you had previously, or like at least that's what's implied. Mm-hmm. So you're going to we're going to need a certain amount of vampire weekend songs that we can, you know, use for marketing. And, you know, obviously he gets paid, but there is like an artistic angle of it where you know that maybe you know that you're a pop musician, but you also can't completely get lost in your own artistic self-indulgence. And at a certain point, you have to consider the corporate side of it in this specific context. Mm-hmm. And this life is like. I feel like it's interesting that it is such a song where they're going to have to push it commercially because I don't know. Do you have to pay to interpolate a melody from a song? Is that? I don't think so. You just have to get like clearance for it. Like, do they get a publishing cut? I I don't know. It's a good question. Yeah. Because as we pointed out previously, this has an interpolation of the song tonight by I love McConan, who is Mm. most famous for getting trapped on a Tuesday. Oh, that's the one. <laughs> yes. 
I, I confused Fetty Wap with I Love McConan. I'm so sorry. My <laughs> one-hit wonders from 2016, they get confused yeah, what, in my head sometimes. What happened to Fetty Wap? I think he went to prison for, like, basically the fact that he was singing about, like, making crack in his kitchen and selling it. I think it was, like, the Bobby Shmurda <laughs> song where a lot of stuff just ended up getting prosecuted as a uh, result of its popularity and inclusion in the lyrics. But Wow. That's I funny. think the uh. club going up guy had a much better turnout. That's all I have to say. So yeah. it's it's a very interesting thing to pull from, but maybe it just it just stuck with Ezra, the you've been cheating on, cheating on me, I've been cheating on, cheating on you. Mm-hmm. And it's they're complete like I think it's almost exactly the same melody in both songs, but that's why it's an interpolation and not right. a sample or a like I don't even know what you would call it if you just take the lyrics and then do a completely different melody like Ezra did to himself with the don't want to live like this line from finger back and harmony. Right. So. Yeah. What is that? Like, cause that's like uh, Beyonce did that with uh, the, my girls lyrics yes. and animal collective still got a credit for that, which yeah. I, I what find was the song unbelievable six inch off lemonade. <sighs> and that was like I, a I preemptive the... thing too, where they were like in the studio, they recorded that and they were like, wait a second. We accidentally stole this. We should preemptively <laughs> give them credit as to avoid any sort of like George Harrison lawsuit. Yeah, but that's so weird because it's like they're kind of, you know, like I, I feel like there's that probably happens all the time though because like it's you know. Oh, it happened so to many... me. I I brought this up to you on our <laughs> Facebook chat, but now I can bring it up on the podcast. I was writing a song for our band, or at least like a demo. Mm. And I was trying to do like a sort of like funky demo. And I was like, oh, I want there to be like this little like fast trumpet thing that leads up into like the, the drone note, like a little mm. riff. And then you you draw out the last note. And so my brain was like, oh, it would be cool if like it went. And then you like drag out that last note with the, the horns and like repeat it a few times. And then months went by. And I discovered the song Layla by Derek and the Dominoes, the Eric Clapton composed riff, which is. And I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> That's why I thought it sounded so good, because it's uh, not mine. It already existed. It's already it's a legendary universe, piece of music. Universally uh, regarded yeah. as. <laughs> and, and you can't exactly just reuse that without people being like, is that the riff from Layla? That's why you got to start stealing stealing riffs from S. S.E. Rogi. No, that's why I need to I need to get a Sony Columbia Records contract <laughs> there so you I go. can just be like, I want to use this. And then they'll be like, ah, we'll figure it out. Don't worry about yeah. it. Just write your You tubes. do whatever you want. Yeah. <laughs> this life, there's really not much to say about it. As for me, I feel like it's sort of like a universal message to the lyrics. That doesn't really stick out to me as much as, as the vibe of the song does. And just the like sort of... I don't know what the word is, but just the feeling of like when you're listening to it, you think, oh, this could be a song in a commercial. And then in reality, it becomes a song in a commercial. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. What is that? Like poetic justice or or like manifestation? Maybe. I don't know. (laughs) Or it could just be like a thing where your brain assumes the obvious. And then it's like, oh, well, the reason I assumed it is because it's because the reason it's obvious is because that's reality. So I don't know. There's probably some fancy thesaurus term for it, but we're going to move on. Move on. Because we got to talk about our, our movie. I haven't even looked at Oh, my goodness. We've gone over an hour. My goodness, Jordan. <laughs> I mean, listeners to this show, this should come as no surprise. 
So I just want to spend a little bit of time talking about Big Blue because mm-hmm. I feel like we've mentioned it a few times, but we haven't really talked about it. It is like 2021 a lot where it is just sort of like a verse that's just repeated over and over again or even a chorus that's repeated and there's no verse. Big Blue, for once in my life I felt close to you. I was so overcome with emotion When I was hurt and in need of affection When I was tired and I couldn't go home Then you offered protection So am I learning my lesson? Or am I back on my own? It's like there's it's just one musical section but then with repetition then they sort of switch up the arrangement and flesh out the song but each song is like less than two minutes long i think 2021 is like maybe the shorter one where it's like not even a minute and a half Hmm. but that's what's cool about it is that it it's makes them sort of easier to learn yourself if you want to learn on piano or guitar or something the easiest way to learn a song is just to play it over and over and over again and then if the song is designed that way then Big Blue in 2021, he mentioned were like songs that when they would do the live shows to promote Father the Bride, they would be like the ones that they would jam out or at least felt that they were more appropriate to jam out and not like the 2021 jam band remix version where it's Mm. literally 21 minutes long. It's like maybe like an extra minute or two at the most. And, you know, you have permission to do that, I feel like, especially coming from someone whose favorite band doesn't do start, stop, start, stop in between every single song, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, let's move on to... We did briefly talk about Sunflower earlier. I guess we attempted to. (laughs) Yes, we did. So let's move on to Sunflower, which is our next song highlight. First of two songs on the album that features Steve Lacey on vocals. And I think he was like 19 or 20 when he recorded for this album. He was like surprisingly young for someone a baby. as well known as he is. But I am not as familiar with his work as some of the other collaborators. But I maybe should check out his stuff because I think these are two of some of my favorite songs on it because of his additions to them. Or hmm. I don't know. Because, like, Sunflower is, like, a song where they do, like, double-tracked vocals of, like, Ezra on one and Steve on the other. And then Flower Moon is more of, like, each singer has, like, their own sort of parts. Or, mm-hmm. I don't know. Not necessarily. It's, like, less layered and more, like, spread out a little bit. Yeah. It's less like a duet. I think the song is pretty straightforward. It is the... There's not, like, it doesn't really, like how earlier I was talking about how Flower Moon is a little progressive in its song structure. I feel like Sunflower doesn't have that same sort of progression, but Mm -hmm. I think what's more interesting about the song is the stuff that surrounds it, like the music video. I think the music video has more interesting stuff to talk about than the song itself, because it was directed by Jonah Hill, and it Mm -hmm. stars Jerry Seinfeld, of all people. Makes sense. Yeah, but only because <laughs> of 
So there's a guy on Twitter called Seinfeld 2000. And like his whole thing was like he would do shit posts where it was just like if Seinfeld were still on the air today, this is what like modern, you know, rip from the headline current social topic they could pull and then make like a Seinfeld episode premise out of. And so mm-hmm. Ezra would retweet him all the time on, when he used to be on Twitter. I don't know if he still is. I don't think so. Like, I think he has an account, but he just never uses it. And so this Seinfeld 2000 character, I think either they were friends beforehand or they became friends afterwards because I, on that podcast of Time Crisis that I will continually bring up, he's like on it as a fourth mic, but he's not like, he doesn't speak up constantly. It's just like every once in a while, Ezra will reference to him and then he'll he'll chime in. So okay, I think it is just like this weird sort of millennial, like post-irony obsession with like you know how like there are people that love shrek and there are people that love you know other weird stuff that like normally you wouldn't expect to have a rabid fan base but like part of the love of it comes from the sort of ironic detachment of like like why would you earnestly be into this or like why would this be something that i don't know but so that's all to say that like you can spend all these hours retweeting this guy's jokes about Seinfeld. But then when you get to a point where you're making an album for Sony and you want to make this music video to promote this single, Oh, why don't we just get Seinfeld to be in the video? Like (laughs) it's kind of like a joke (laughs) suggestion that just becomes real just based on like the clout that you have at that point. So it's weird. It's also weird that it's just directed by Jonah Hill because it's like, I guess Jonah Hill doesn't have a very specific like style as a filmmaker. But it is just weird that the video, most of the video is just, okay, we've got a gimbal that rotates 360, and we're just going to keep on rotating it. And that's the video. Jerry, you just <laughs> sit there while this thing rotates in front of your face. And, yep, yeah, yeah, that's the perfect look. That look like you despise everyone around you because they're not as rich as you. Yeah, keep that look up the whole video. And then there's, like, a little bit at the end where, like, the guy at the bakery or the uh, bodega that they're at tries to like pitch him a joke about bagels and you can see it's like it's like a weird thing to leave in like this like real life thing it's no like the song's over it's just like a real life moment where this guy pitches jerry a joke and you can see jerry seinfeld just being completely indifferent (laughs) and uninterested and it's just like oh yeah right i forgot jerry seinfeld's an asshole like the novelty of him being in this video (laughs) is kind of lost when reality comes crashing back in it's like oh yeah this guy kind of sucks (laughs) <laughs> but he is still like a legend in a weird way even though he was the worst He's... part of his own show it's so bizarre <laughs> like er- even he knew that he was the worst actor on the show but it was called Seinfeld I mean it's it's all in those teeth man his, his charisma is through those pearly whites it's that voice that's why he was the star <laughs> of B-Movie yeah that's a pretty good impression it's alright it's the, it's the cartoon version of Seinfeld that everyone does can you can you do that impression and say uh, the thing about airplane food is? What's the deal with airplane food? It's not even made out of airplane parts. It's actual food. What are the airplanes supposed to eat? Oil? That's not food. <laughs> ah, that's perfect. That's more than I could have ever hoped like, for. Yeah. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is that if Seinfeld comes back on the air, I would be the perfect head writer. Larry David mm. can fuck off. Uh, I I thought you were going to say that you'd be the perfect person to play Seinfeld. Oh, you're right. I should replace Jerry 
and then everyone yeah. else is the same. Everyone else is the yeah. same, but it's just especially just you Kramer. As Terry signs. Yes. <laughs> yes. Kramer Kramer should take no, over. No, what it should the, be is it should be lead. Jerry, but then he just lip syncs all his dialogue and then I overdub all of it doing my impression mm. of his voice. That there would be go. a better show. That'd be a better yeah. show. For sure. So Jerry Seinfeld is a grumpy guy and he's in a Vampire Weekend music video. Yeah. And that doesn't seem think... to me like, oh, he's heard the album. He he knows the band. He's yeah. down to be in it. It's like, hey, we'll give you money if you sit in this chair for yeah. a day. He's like, did you say money? Yeah. Oh, I know that guy, that that Jonah Hill guy. He was in the movie where he falls over. That's funny. And trust me, I know funny. Let's move on to Flower Moon. Let's move on. Flower Moon, cause the night If the sun don't make things right Then it's gonna take a year gonna take a year flower moon sacred sign coca-cola and red wine now's the time to disappear gonna take a year which is I think my personal favorite on the album it might yeah, be it's or one. it's it's a honestly a hard toss up between that and we belong together which are only separated by one track on the album so they're not quite a one-two punch if anything it's sunflower and flower moon are the one-two punch Mm -hmm. for obvious reasons sun moon i really just love this song because it has like this thing where the song just keeps changing form not like in an extreme sense like a dirty projector song but you know the the harmonizer that's on it the the Eiffel sixty five mm-hmm. vocal harmonizer is like a very specific oh, yeah. sound and it's really cool the way it sounds because like you even think like is Steve Lacey doing like a like a barbershop bass on this is that <laughs> like but then no you realize it's the machine doing that and that's why it's like the perfect mm-hmm. bass and the perfect you know like fourth or fifth whatever like harmony that they're trying to like layer in this like VST preset so. It's a really cool sound, and it it just adds to like the sort of kaleidoscope, uh, psychedelic feel that I get from this. This this to me feels like sort of the most like a '60s uh, psych pop, or you know, just like I don't know. It, it for me when I listen to the song, it gives me a little bit of like a flower power feeling, like that late '60s like peace and love kind of vibe. Totally, I I love it. It's my favorite, but. We Belong Together is also really good. We go together like sand and sand Black and white, day and night, we go together like left and right. Oh, we go together. We go together. It's just, it's kind of like a little bit of an apples and oranges thing, where like Flower Moon is, I feel like, if, if they put it on their first Vampire Weekend self titled album, it would not feel like in place. So it's like, as far as a branding thing, it's like the least 
typical Vampire Weekend thing you would expect. And then We Belong Together has elements of what you would expect from a typical Vampire Weekend song to sound like. But then again, it is this mm-hmm. it, like pop country song like hybrid, even though I think it's more like not mandolin, but maybe it is a mandolin or like a, some sort of like stringed instrument that's not necessarily a guitar. But that's, again, another thing that's so cool about this album is that like stuff you wouldn't expect to be a guitar is, but it's just like a certain pedal or or amp preset like specifically we belong together that that like high-pitched line that is a guitar but you would think it's a synth just because Mm -hmm. of the tone to it so there's some interesting stuff going and this this is the track that was also written by rostam right as we previously mentioned and it definitely Mm -hmm. that's why yeah i think that's why it, it has those hallmarks that give it that sort of split feeling of like a vampire weekend song, but also something sort of completely different. And that's what mm-hmm. I think is indicative of the magic of the whole album is that it's trying to do a lot of things at once. And I think it succeeds in pretty much all of them. You know, it's, it's trying yeah, it to does. balance the dichotomy of, you know, we got to give people what they expect of a vampire weekend album, but also let's, let's try get a little weird with it. Yeah. Let's, you know, try to develop our song, style or you know just like the production let's yeah everything in the kitchen sink and try to subvert expectations last jedi style (laughs) which that that's not an anachronistic reference that did come out before the album but i think it's just a byproduct of working on the album for six years is that a lot of different stuff is just gonna enter your headspace and it's a long time it's over half but the tricky part is just to make it all work together as one cohesive unit and these songs, they do belong together. They do. And I like the lyrics in this one, how it, like, some stuff, it's almost like Hello Goodbye by the Beatles, where it's like, we're just going to make mm-hmm. a song with sames and opposites. And so there are some stuff in the song where it's like, we belong together like this thing, because it's like, oh, when you put those th- two things together in your head, because they go together, or two things that are completely different saying they belong together, and it's like, well, in a way they do, because opposites attract. I'm paraphrasing something mm. that he said on his <laughs> podcast, which you should go and listen to. So, If you haven't heard us recommend yeah. this yet. So our last song highlight I want to talk about is Spring Snow. auto-tune auto-tune but also like it could also be like a vocalizer i'm not sure it's a very interesting sound that they have in lieu of like a traditional hook i I think that there's like Mm -hmm. the uh the verse and like a little a bit of a refrain like the trees start to move bell start to ring part but then it, it is there are a lot of i guess this is like one of those where I can point out the example that there are a lot of like instrumental stretches on this album where like on previous vampire weekend releases there really weren't, they were really more focused on that like pop song structure and they didn't have a lot of room for like Mm -hmm. solos. But this one feels like it's a lot more of like a relaxed vibe and spring snow feels like I think the most indicative of that because it's more focused on like the vibe of the song, like the, it, it it does feel like a song that you would listen to out in the snow, like in like March or April or something in like the northern United States or I guess southern Canada. Uh, not that I would know, but um, 
Yeah, it's it is like the perfect. I think most albums that are aren't double albums, you have like an expectation of like your final song has got to be this big banger, and then your last one's like an understated sort of ballad. I don't think this one really does that. Yeah. I think it just sort of it, it feels like more of like a gradual sort of like ramping down from something like "We Belong Together" or "Sympathy" into the sort of coda of the closer. So I can't say I really analyze the lyrics a lot on this one, but just the vibe yeah. of it, I think, is just. It's unlike anything else that they've done and unlike anything else on the album. And that's what ultimately I think we can wrap this up by me just sort of giving my thesis, which is that like this album is kind of like the Panda Bear self-titled in a way where Mm -hmm. on paper it might not necessarily work. All these different elements being put together. But I think Ezra had like a... And again, it's not like you can even say he had a specific vision for it because of the fact that the name changed and there were songs that were going to be on the album. Like Houston, Dubai is one of the bonus tracks. That's just a song from the album that they just cut for sequencing or pacing or length reasons, what have you. And then there's another song, Conversation, which doesn't exist. (laughs) Like it exists to them. They have a version of it. They have files on a hard drive somewhere. They never played it live. And there's no like bootleg version of it. So we have no idea what it sounds like. But it was one of those where it was like, <laughs> I'm working on this album and there are songs like Conversation and uh, I think Sunflower or like Big Blue or something that are going to be on it. Macchiato uh, Mussolini. What was it called? <laughs> Mitsubishi <laughs> Macchiato. <laughs> so people were like, oh, I can't wait to hear that Conversation song. And it just it's it's a big old question mark. It's like the Jerry Lewis movie, wow. The Day the Clown Cried, where you're like, I feel like I could probably figure out what it sounds like or what it is like, but until I actually experience it, I have no idea. So hopefully, if they don't put out an album before the 10-year anniversary or even just the five-year anniversary, since we're getting close to it, they could be like, uh, hey, here's this song that we never put out. We we put a few extra dollars into mastering it. But I think if they didn't put it on the Japanese bonus tracks, then maybe we'll just never hear it. What are you going to do? Lost. Lost in the sands of time. I feel like I just want to wrap this up by saying I want to give a shout out to Rashida Jones for marrying and then birthing the children of Ezra Koenig for emotionally inspiring him throughout this six year journey of making this album. Because without you, would this really have been as good as everyone, including Ezra, wanted it to be? Maybe not. But I'm not. not, I, I can't say one way or the other. And. I don't know. I wanted to review this album because it just was such a satisfying moment where you have these bands where they take hiatuses and then like you never know how good or bad the next album that they make when they finally come back is going to be. So the fact that this album like Harmony Hall being the first single and just that sort of immediate gratification of like, oh, they're fine. They're back, you know, like. Like, let your worries subside. They're not going to fuck it up. They're going to make a good album. And I feel <laughs> like it's one of those that maybe would still be a part of the, like, the pop culture conversation instead of, like, oh, yeah, that album, if the pandemic hadn't come and just, like, completely shat all over that. I feel like it's not discussed as much as something like Igor or, like, maybe some of the other albums that came out that year that I think are more thought on more favorably. As time passes, I guess we should. The last thing before we talk about the movie, I'll point out the 
Accolades. It, of course, was the number one album on the Billboard charts because it's the Vampire Weekend album. Everyone go buy it. But it was nominated for Grammys, as their music often is. Uh, It was nominated for two Grammys, Best Alternative Album, and Album of the Year. Which, Album of the Year is a very strange award because there isn't really, like... Mm -hmm. It's just, like, a whole bunch of stuff in one genre. It's, like, Best Picture, but then there's also, like... There's, like, Album of the Year, but then there's also, like best album or something like the fact that that there's record of there's record of the year but then there's also best right. album of the year and it's like and but record doesn't mean a record it means a song when you get to something like best alternative album it makes sense to have more diversity because alternative music is just like a very generic term to refer to an entire like spectrum of of bands and and subgenres so yeah, It won Grammy for Best Alternative Album, but it was up against stuff like Anima by Tom York, which is a fantastic album, and the Bon Iver cool. album from that year, which I don't know the name of, and I don't care to look up because I'm kind of indifferent to Bon Iver. <laughs> I know they have their fans, but yeah. that's why it was... I remember specifically my friend who's a big Radiohead Tom York fan being <laughs> disappointed th- that he lost to Vampire Weekend, and I was like... I mean, I know you don't like Vampire Weekend or like that's just not your type of music at all. But like coming from someone who loves both of them, I understand the the favor being cast in Vampire Weekend's direction as opposed to Tom York. But it's 100 percent. Yeah, 100 percent. And then it, it lost the Grammy for album of the year to Billie Eilish, which I mean, it was 2019. So you kind of had to expect that that was like her year and music like she blew up in 2019. So. That was the year that the industry planted her. I guess. I don't know. That's one of those things where it's not like an (laughs) Olivia Rodrigo or someone where I listen to the music and I'm like, Hmm. okay. Like, yeah, it's music. It's well made. It's just I don't care. With Billie Eilish, it was just like I can't stop hearing about her anywhere. Can people stop? Like, can people shut up about her? And then eventually you got around to, okay, fine. Hmm. I'll check out the album to see what all the hype is about. And then you're like, okay, yeah, that's well deserved. But Again, I feel like most industry plants you can sort of tell, or at least it it would bother me more if mm-hmm. it's kind of like nepotism babies, what people complain about in Hollywood or even right. in music, where it's like, okay, well, are they yeah. any good? Yes, fine, I don't care then how they got there, you know. Of course, you can it could be a whole ethical mm-hmm. debate about like a lesser known musician being more deserving or more talented, but Billie mm-hmm. Eilish's case, I think her and Phineas have something going that other contemporary artists like her uh, won't be well known for as time passes on. And the same can be said about Vampire Weekend. So that's going to wrap up our discussion. Jordan, did you have anything to add? I feel like I've been (laughs) a motor mouth about this album. I, uh... No, I, I definitely uh, echo, you know, a lot of the stuff that you've been saying, uh, the positive stuff about this album. I think it's a really good album. It's like extremely pleasurable to listen to. It's got some just it's very accessible. I mean, um, I think that that's why it would have won the Grammy over a Tom York album. But yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm, I'm glad that you brought it up for this discussion, because Honestly, I don't know, like maybe it was the pandemic, who knows, but it like I I did listen to it when it came out and then I just forgot that it even existed. And now I'm like, shit, I should probably be listening to it like a lot more regularly because there's a lot of a lot of bangers on that. Honestly, there's like it it is a little overwhelming because it, there's so many songs, but like I don't think that there's really any songs I can say are bad songs. Like they're all really likable. 
there's some that are better than others, but yeah. there's no bad songs. Well, like I said earlier, 2019 was a great year for music, so it could have just gotten lost in the mess of everything else being exceptional, you know? Could be, could be, yeah. Or maybe, I don't know, maybe I was also kind of put off by the the length of 18 tracks at that time. I mean, like, eh, I'll, I'll give this a quick listen. Yeah. Well, it's not about the number of songs. It's about the length in minutes. That's true. That's true. Just when you see that 18, you're like, ah. See, I have, I have a problem with commitment. Well, don't let your wife hear that. When I look at TV shows. <laughs> okay. Oh, she well. knows. <laughs> she knows because I can't watch any TV shows. Every time that someone recommends a TV show, you got to watch the show. It's so amazing. I'm like, how many seasons are there? They're like two. I'm like, so too many. you're never going to watch Mr. Robot is what you're saying, even though you definitely should because it's I'm never, one of the best I'm goddamn never going to watch Mr. Robot. I'm like... People recommend stuff to me all the time and they make really good points for me to watch stuff. And if it is multiple seasons, the likelihood of me watching it. So very, if I ever make slim. a TV show that's like, you know, three or four <laughs> seasons, you'd be like, ah, I, uh, I, yeah. I respect like, you sorry, as a, sorry, Greg, as a friend, but I can't do <laughs> it. I'm sure, I'm sure this show is great, but, uh, okay, I'm just fine. not going to, I'm not going to check it out. <laughs> Hey everyone, this is Future Greg just jumping in here, and I know what you're thinking. Whoa, this is the end of the episode? They didn't even talk about the movie they said they were going to talk about. Well, Jordan and I had a bit of a conversation where we decided we were going to try to change up the format for the new year and see if it works better and just works more practically because of compression and podcast hosting limitations and what have you. So if you want to hear us talk about Lords of Chaos... Just go to the other episode that was also uploaded today, and then next month we'll um, try to do a thing where we upload each half of the episode or each episode every two weeks instead of once a month to see what happens. And, you know, just experiment and uh, change it up for the five people that listen. So go check out the next episode, and thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.